nice article in the Managing Madrid uh, blog. They're wonderful lads that do a great job there. And worth reading about that man there. Kareem Benzema needs to rest and the numbers reveal why. Welcome to the Managing Madrid podcast. It's Saturday night. Real Madrid plays in about 10 hours. It's, this is a completely illogical time to record this podcast because it's before the last game of the season. But hey, give us enough illogical football in one season and we'll give you illogical podcasts. Joining me, Kian Sobani, is the always entertaining and hilarious tactical guru of Managing Madrid. Om Arvin. Om, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing... I'm doing very okay after several hours of getting mad about the political situation in the US. I I have to say that I'm doing excellent, you know. Being being a normal person getting angry online about these kind of things it's the exact kind of thing a normal person would do and then right after get on a podcast to talk about football. Real normal things. If people are listening to this on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, because it's going to be a, it's kind of the weird scheduling thing about this is that you'll have two RS two two in your RSS feeds. If you're a patron, you'll get the post game show tomorrow morning after the game. But then you'll also have this in the in the free feed. So don't don't be daunted. So if you're list, going to be listening to this Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and you hear the intro, and this was recorded on Saturday before the game. This is uh, it's not a it's a timeless. It's going to be a timeless show because in many ways, I'd say um. As interesting a game tomorrow is at what is it six a.m. Eastern six thirty or something? I have no idea. Six thirty fucking a.m. Man, like I, I mean, you don't even need to like sugarcoat it, man. Like, I mean, do we even need to like watch this game? I mean, I listen one hundred percent. Like, even if we weren't gonna win the league, but we were like. I don't know what, like six points off, whatever. I'd be up. I'd be watching, trying to take something meaningful away. Like, I'm just so tired. That's why I actually thought the season was over until, like, I messaged you and I was like, oh shit, we have a game at 6 30 on, on Sunday morning. Like, I, I thought I thought that was it. I thought we were done. I, I was just going to completely miss it. I mean, I'm still, frankly, I'm, I'm not going to wake up to watch it. If anything, I'm going to catch it on DVR, but I'm not too bothered because, like, Seeing the way these last games have been, I have literally not had a single thing of significance to take away from these games. I mean, people are still freaking out about it, obviously, right? Like, people are getting madder and madder about, like, how badly we've been playing. But I have not found a single significant thing to take away. And I think the last podcast I did with you was just us struggling to, like, find things to take away from like the the end of the season. The the longer this goes on, essentially, the more, the worse it is. It's like the longer the season. I remember the week before this one, I actually thought it was the last week in La Liga for some reason. I don't know what triggered that in my brain. And so I was on a, like a live podcast on Churros y Tacticas. I was like, thank God this is the last weekend. And Diego was like, no, dude, we have one more. And my <laughs> my, my heart like actually sank. I was like, I, I, I was really looking forward to this being the last one. Are you sure? <laughs> Uh, you know what? You know what I love about this is that, like, ha- imagine looking at the schedule and putting out the times for like 
who's going to play where. And with La Liga, we never know, literally, like, until 10 minutes before. Um, uh-huh. Like, imagine looking at that Real Madrid game and be like, hey, no one's watching Real Madrid now. Not even their own fans. Half the stadium is empty. You know what would really get the viewership up? Let's schedule this at 6 a.m. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, like, fans in, like, like Southeast Asia and, like, that kind of region, like, this is, like, perfect timing for them. Like, I think it's just right in the evening, like, where, like, it would be, like, for U.S. sports, like, an NBA game or something, if I understand correctly. So, I don't know. It might be for them. It Like, it might get viewership numbers up there. But, I, I mean, I don't even know, like, what the strategy is because I'm pretty, like, La Liga moved all their timings back, like, or, like, forward. They made it later to cater to the U.S. audience more. So, it made it even more difficult for, like, people in, like, um, like India per se to like watch games. So I don't even know what their strategy is. They're just kind of all over the place. Well, it def. I mean, great. It's 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 going to benefit any time when you know any time schedule is going to benefit one time zone on Earth. So someone's going to be happy. I think you should cater it towards local people. If I'm being honest, because those are the ones driving your ticket sales for sure. The 6 a.m. Like, forget about anyone in the U.S. Uh, like, I wouldn't blame you at all if you didn't want to wake up. If you're in California for this and it's Friday night and yeah. you want to go out and have fun the night before and you're worried about waking up early, just go have fun. Like, But here's the case, so I'm to watch this one um, because it's the last game. It's It could be a farewell tour for certain players. Um, what was that game a couple years ago where we had James saying goodbye and a substitute off? We might have a moment like that maybe. So that's the case for watching it is is for little moments like that, I think. Other than that, I mean... Well, do you think Zidane will start Navas? You're asking me something that Zidane will do. I, I, I've <laughs> never known the answer to any, anything that he does. Fair enough. That, that was a fair response. And that is a fair response to any question about anything related to Zidane ever. I also wonder if it's Bale's last game. Will Zidane even put him on the field to give him a, that goodbye? Mm-hmm. Like, do Marcos Llorente and Ceballos play just because it's their goodbye? Like, does that even factor in? Or is it just about... Like, I, I don't know. I, I genuinely, we have to see. I don't know. Um, It could be, though. Like, so there are several players. Like, I, I, I think there will... There may be... Not there will be. There may be a James moment from that year where he, he applauds the Bernabeu as he walks out the pitch. Maybe. that That's the case for watching it. And maybe we'll see the Brahim Vinicius combo again. Um, I think these TV schedulers should hire you as their promo man. Get Kian Sobani to like justify all these absurd timings for why you should still wake up and watch. The I don't game. support any of it. I all I care about, honestly, the the first thing they need to figure out is to stop scheduling, stop rescheduling the games. Just keep them at the allocated time, or at least when you announce them in advance, don't change it. Just wait, and then because it's impossible to make trips. I almost missed a, a game. Just because when I booked my plane ticket a couple weeks in advance, this was the game against Sevilla at home. Uh, I was scheduled to arrive in Madrid with like 12 hours to spare. Then they changed the game. For, and then I had to rush to take an Uber to the game. And I barely got there in time. That's, you know, it's a selfish rant. But like a lot of people run into that problem. Like they can't make travel plans. People on the plane were... Were asking me how to get to the Bernabeu because they were had their all their Real Madrid jerseys on and they were sweating it out. They you know made a trip just to watch the game. Anyways, we have three million <laughs> mailbag questions to go through, and 
we're going to go through for sure all the guaranteed ones and we're going to squeeze in as many non-guaranteed ones as we can but we're going to avoid duplicates as we always try to do and uh and are, are you ready Omarvin to get into this yeah all right <clears throat> patreon.com slash managing madrid is where you go to pledge where to get guaranteed responses to your questions where to ask questions at all we're basically it's been almost a year now i think we've moved away from asking for questions on social media because patreon has been so busy so if you want to get access to bonus shows and also responses to your questions among other rewards go to patreon.com slash managing madrid first patron question is from christian tops he says Hey guys, what is your opinion on using Vinicius and Castilla for the playoffs? Promotion to, La, to Segunda would be amazing, and uh, having a B team playing in the league with sufficient quality to stack it with upcoming talent instead of doing loan deals where playing time is never guaranteed seems to be the better way to go. I don't know if you thought about this, Om. I never crossed my mind. Um... So I guess my first question to you is like how long, like let's say Castilla go far, as far as possible in the playoffs, how long does that last? Uh, Sam Sharp put out an article on Managing Madrid a few days ago outlining the the way it works, like the, the process of the Segunda playoffs. Um, I can't remember exactly. I'll maybe I'll I'll dig this up and we'll we'll go get the answer before the podcast is over. But essentially, how it works is I think they have to play. Their 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 position isn't entirely confirmed yet because their last game of the season is tomorrow. So they that will determine like which group they play against and how many games they get. I think so. There's one round, uh, two rounds, three rounds. There's three rounds. The ultimate timeline, I'm not sure. Why do you ask that? Well, I mean, I mean, I, I mean, I would just be thinking because players enter like a certain routine. Like, so I mean, the playoffs are going to go like well after Real Madrid season is over. I'm guessing. Yeah. yeah. Um. So like, it, I mean, it would just affect like Vinicius's routine. Like, you know, whether he gets into that off season training mode and stuff. I don't even know how how much rehab he still has to do. You know, for the injury he picked up, like certain amounts of injuries take, I mean, just continuous rehab. I mean, it's, I mean, it's obviously not as extreme as this, but for example, Gordon Hayward is still doing rehab for the injury that he had. Like, so, I mean, I think all those things factor into play. Um, and Castilla, I'm sorry, not Castilla, but like the division they play in is, I mean, it's a lot of like grown men, like trying to kick the shit out of yeah. like younger, more talented guys. And I should be slightly worried about that kind of thing, but it's actually not a bad idea to get Vinicius some minutes when he's been out for so long. Like, I mean, I don't hate the idea because it's, it doesn't conflict with first-team duties or anything. It's it's actually a, a very interesting question that I had not considered up until this point. Yeah, so the the case for it is that obviously uh, Castilla never get to Segunda. I mean, not, ne- not never, but it's so rare for them. And when they do... Like to me, if I if I had any role in the club as a sporting director or on the board, I always think one of the priorities should be in the club to get Castilla in Segunda and get them there and keep them there and keep pumping them with talent. I just think it like Segunda is such a higher level than Segunda Bay. Like really, the jump is astronomical, and if you can have that like as your as your almost like equivalent of an NBA G League team, that does wonders for your development. I think. 
you don't have to worry so much because so many players actually just get like, loaned to Segunda teams, like whether it was Vallejo to Zaragoza a few years ago, um, Alex Chebas is there, Luis Miquesada is there. And so if you if you have combination of players on loan just staying there or the younger players, like the youth team players, just getting playing time against better opposition, I think it's better for your grooming system. And like someone asked the question a few episodes ago, like, well, if we send Vinicius there, can we just send anyone there? Well, like the answer is no, because only only Vinicius is actually registered with Castilla. Not even not even like someone like Brahim can play there. So he's registered. The case against it Om is ex- exactly what you said. It's it people in Segunda Bay, especially they don't they're not. Some of them are just there to literally break legs. Like we saw, literally someone bit Vinicius's head in the in the Madrid Madrid oh, Derby. Derby. Uh, and he that was just like one of the moments like and a a bite to the head is not going to break his legs but he also had a lot of just ridiculous tackles on him in that game i remember i was there it was just getting clobbered over and over again um and also scored two goals but also um like if he if he if something happens to him i think it's like a disaster pr thing that you have to like answer for yeah, I mean, it's not really at all like Chelsea playing a goddamn friendly before their Europa League final, but I think the reaction to that would be somewhat similar, right? Like, I mean, I don't know what Chelsea were thinking and then playing Ruben Loftus-Cheek. And yeah, that, and like, that was but, a disaster. But it, it's not it's not nearly that stupid because as Keon outlined, there's like, there's like some solid thinking behind this question, but there is no doubt that the reaction and backlash would be ruthless to seeing Vinicius go down again injured. So it's it's really just about it's about managing risk and what you think is more important. And quite frankly, I'm just not sure the Real Madrid management like really cares that much about Castillo being promoted. Like, I mean, if they if they took it that seriously, I think the the coaches that we picked for our youth teams would be. I, I think there would be a little more like vetting. You know, we'd be a little bit more serious about that, but I don't think this is even in their mind. Um, so, I, but I, I can really see the argument for it. And if we're really invested, like Keon was saying, to create that like good youth environment, I think they could use Vinicius. To me, it just depends on what is Vinicius' health at this point. Like, is he completely fit? Is he hundred percent? And what are the risks for injury? And if they evaluate that, it's, it's just not that high. I would go for it. I think, I think like Kieran was outlining, the benefits of having Castilla in the division right below La Liga are pretty big. So, I mean, I, I would seriously consider it, but I don't think it's going to happen. I would consider it. I wouldn't. I honestly wouldn't throw a fit if he didn't play there. But I would. I would love to. I'd love to watch the playoffs with Vinicius involved. Just, to, I think he. I think he almost guarantees you to to get promoted. Um, Sam Sharp has been very vocal about it. Um, very passionate about it. Actually, I think he really thinks that this should happen. He didn't. Vinicius didn't get called up to the Brazil squad for Copa America, by the way. So, so maybe there is a chance that he he sticks. Because if if he got called up for that, there's no way I don't think he would have he would have done the whole Castilla thing. Um, but still, I, I like you. I don't, I'm not sure if I see it. Um, Frederick Rentakiro says Juventus already won seven Serie A titles before Ronaldo arrived. If Ronaldo don't win the Champions League with Juventus, how much would four to five Serie A titles and a few goal-scoring awards improve his legacy? 
will it make any difference short term in the GOAT discussion? Well, for one, I don't think Ronaldo's going to be there for that long. I like, I think we forget that like he is 34 years old. Like, and I mean, I mean, it's obvious there's been like decline for a long time now. And I think it's just continued this season having watched a fair bit of Juventus. Um, I mean, I think Ronaldo's status as a world-class player doesn't latch, last that much longer. And, you know, with the wages that he's carrying at Juventus, I think two seasons around, I mean, he's looking at another transfer to, to somewhere else. Um, but let's say he wins two more Serie A titles. How much does that change? Um, for me, I mean, not a whole lot. So, like, when we talk about discussing the greatest of all time, we're talking about player impact. And we're, we're, trophies are, are simply, logically, are just a proxy of the impact we think a player has on a game. And when I say impact, to me, the assessment is very simple. The best player of all time is the player that has had the biggest impact on goal difference for their team um, in, you know, against the best opposition in the world. And to me, that very quickly narrows it down to two players, um, it, Ronaldo and Messi, when I think about the ability to affect goal difference. And I don't think anyone in history has done it as well as them, you know, against the opposition that they've done it as consistently as they've done it. And when you have to look at it within the context of the system, like I don't think anyone expected anyone other than Juventus to win the league title. Like it wasn't even close. Like Napoli, you know, they, they haven't ended the season really all that well, but they still put together a pretty good season. You know, they were, they were still the second best attacking team in the league. You know, they weren't that far off with their attacking numbers than Juventus. And Juventus won by like a long way. And I don't think that's changing anytime soon. So you'd have to say, what is the impact that Ronaldo has? I think I think he's made it just that much harder for anyone to take Juventus off. But I think I think what Ronaldo has done in the past really still like determines you know whether he's the goat or not. Like if he has a Champions League, it, it it then depends on how much of an impact Ronaldo had in helping you you know Juventus get the Champions League. Like for example, if Ronaldo like plays really badly throughout the knockout rounds and Juventus win, I don't know if that's such like. It really helps Ronaldo's case, but if he literally drags them through, and he's such a huge defining reason in them winning it, I think it helps his case a lot. But a couple more Serie A titles, I mean, I don't see it making a huge difference. I think whatever opinions we have now, it's going to be the same, you know, three years from now if that's how it plays out. Yeah, it. I think it, in some ways he's actually playing with a bit of house money in that sense because if. I don't. I don't think the legacy changes with a couple Serie A titles and goal scoring awards. I think. I think it's. I don't think it hurts it, but I don't think it. It it becomes the the defining tiebreaker. But I think if he does win it, then that all of a sudden takes his legacy to a whole other level. And I and I said this like I thought I predicted Juve would actually uh, win the Champions League this season. Now obviously that didn't happen, but. I, I did as well. Yeah, and I, I thought just like the Ronaldo factor would have taken them over the hump because they've been so close in years past. I also wanted to say, like, I I mentioned this on a podcast. I remember vividly, actually, me, you, and Gabe talking on a podcast last season during kind of before Real Madrid turned a corner in the Champions League. This was when they were way behind in the league. Ronaldo was having a really bad season. 
uh, and just before everyone kind of turned the corner in the knockout rounds. I I saw my first signs of Ronaldo's decline last season. I, I You could visibly see it, especially early on. And he kind of looked like he had lost a step. He wasn't, he was getting muscled off the ball. He was getting, wasn't it last season where Juan Fran outpaced him somehow? And then there was, he was missing a bunch of chances that he normally would have scored. But then he turned the corner and was just a monster in the Champions League. And, and then those are those moments of, uh, to me, are always like how I define and measure the greatest players of all time is how they perform in the big stages. And Ronaldo has just is just like almost pretty much unparalleled throughout history when it comes to big moments. And then and then this season you kind of saw the decline again. But then you saw like what he did in the Champions League against Atletico, and it was just it was just incredible the way he put the team on his back. I think um the problem with the kind of Juve's problem right now is that. The Ronaldo window is so short for them that they, I think, haven't. And I wrote about this yesterday that they have a need to to go all in. And yeah. I don't know what that looks like. I don't think their finances are that great after purchasing Ronaldo and also bouncing a bit a bit early in the Champions League earlier than they expected, probably. Um, but they have to get him a much better midfield. And I don't think Aaron Ramsey is the guy who's going to move the needle for you, especially for what you're mm-hmm. paying for him. So they need help. Like I, I he needs help. I, I, do, I think that they need someone other than Pjanic and and not like Emre Can as your as your other guy in the double pivot are playing as a pseudo like center back. It's just not going to work game in game out in big games. They There's need to, talk of. Mm. Sorry, go on. Sorry. No, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, there's been talk of Isco coming. Like I, I mean, I don't really buy that's going to happen. But like that's the kind of quality that Juventus need. Like, I think Isco would really move the needle because, I mean, they lack, like, creative, you know, guys in the final third. Like, Pjanic, like, they have in defensive midfield, but they they really lack, like, an Isco-type play in the final third who could help them progress the ball a little bit more and fashion, you know, you know things out of nowhere. Like, Dybala has, has kind of taken on that role in, like, parts and he's actually been good at it but he's just not that type of player and part of like his like what has really looked like a drastic decline with him um this past season has had to do with like his I mean he was kind of the main guy Ronaldo comes and Dybala has basically had to turn into a player that's just basically kind of doing those Isco things progressing the ball you know help making sure like the ball moves from side to side, gets the fullbacks quickly, essentially playing a pseudo midfielder role. And he's just not that guy. Like he can do those things in addition to being a quality player in the final third, but he can't, I mean, he, that's not the thing he does by himself. And so that made it apparent that Juventus really lacked that player. And I think if, if we're talking about going all in, I think it makes sense for Juventus to sell Dybala and use the, use that money to go and buy a player like like at Isco's quality, um, because otherwise then the Ronaldo experiment doesn't make sense because you took this financial risk like to win the Champions League and to win it now, and so you can't you can't go halfway like you said Aaron Ramsey is not going to move the needle. So, and I think I mean the reason the Ronaldo window is so small is there's also like the financial thing that Juve are having to navigate and they're just about doing it, but also like. I think it's become clear Ronaldo is no longer the guy that game in, game out will deliver. He's become more of a moments player 
Yeah. You know, and it's tended to be mostly in the Champions League. And, you know, it's fine. Like, I still never seen a 34 year old that's like as good as him, which is why I think he's the only other player besides Messi to be the GOAT candidate. But that's still relevant. And it, Ronaldo doesn't get better from here. I mean, that's just that's just how age works. So that's why I said a maximum of two more seasons before I see Ronaldo moving on. And yeah, to win a Champions League, that's not a lot of times. A lot of things have to work. You can do everything right, and you could still end up losing. Um, so I think it's a gamble, and it's a gamble that Juventus thought was worth taking. I actually have a list of players here that I think that they should look at. Um and it's, they're not all realistic, but I think you have to make the call. One is Pogba, because I think absolutely he's a ho- homecoming. He's That's an environment that he's previously thrived in. Um, I think despite being a headache off the pitch, um, I think you have to look at someone like Rabiot. I think you have to try to get someone like Ndombele, but the problem is like everyone in Europe will probably want someone like him, and I actually hope he comes to Real Madrid. I think you, if Isco is available, I think you have to take him. And the other one that I would look at if I was Juve is James. Because he seems to be in limbo between Juve and Real. Or sorry, Bayern and Real. I don't think either club necessarily is really pushing to keep him. And James has the Mendes connection. I, to me, that's like a no-brainer fit is James at Juve, I think, would, would be really good for them too. Well, I think with Hamid, well, you're talking about him in midfield, center midfield, right? He could play that role, yeah. Yeah, I, I think that would also depend on what coach they're going to bring in because Allegri is gone, like yeah. that much. I mean, it's all but confirmed. Um, It works. Ancelotti proved it could work, but Zidane also showed that like Zidane knew it wasn't going to work under him, so it also depends with the coach. But if they get you know, a more tactically oriented coach one that like defends as a team um that can that can make use of Hamas's work rate and kind of like hide his other defensive weaknesses it could work for sure and i think when you have a midfield that lacks that kind of quality you have to look look at any kind of option you can but it, it depends on the coach so, like this is a huge off season for juventus even bigger than the one they had last season large part because the coach that's guided them all this way is going and that might define an entire new identity for the way Juventus play. So it was pretty huge. It'd be interesting to see how they go about things. You know who I'd love to see there just for the fireworks? Who? who? Mourinho. Jesus. I mean, it would like, be, it'll be so fun. entertaining. It would be fun. Yeah, yeah for sure. Um, Next question is from Elian Zacco. He says, So Barcelona has an admittedly dumb policy in picking coaches, but I feel with Real there is no policy. Um, there's, it's, it's the most glamorous name, and we never consider any alternatives. And when we do freak out and kick the coach out, like we did with Lopetegui, which was a mistake, by the way, I hope the next administration can consider giving J-Lo another chance or maybe a braver option would be Nagelsmann. Love the podcast. Greetings from Sweden. Hope a Pena forms here because there is quite a bit of Real Madrid fans here. Um, if you haven't, I know we have at least one other patron, Swedish patron, Thomas Berg. So if there's a bunch of you guys, please get in touch with each other. Um, I'm, I'm a bit confused as to Barcelona's dumb coaching policy. I don't, it doesn't really stick out to me that they have a dumb coaching policy right now in terms of picking coaches. Am I missing yeah, something? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, th- I think what's missing from this question, I think, is like 
pointing out what is dumb about it. Like, I don't think it's inherently wrong, right? Like, it's a value. Everything we say is a value judgment. It's just that, like, I mean, I'm not sure exactly, I mean, what it is that's, like, dumb. Like, I mean, I, I think it's just missing out that you pointed out for us so then we can discuss it. But I agree that with the part about Real's coaching choices. So we have, I mean, we starting with, like, um, I think the winter window, we have been pretty strongly criticized. I think that's fair to say for essentially being in Florentino Perez's pocket, you know, more serious criticisms being that like, we don't, I mean, we're just, I know for some reason we're biased to Florentino or whatever. Um, I mean, obviously that's dumb, but the simple difference is that I, I am, I mean, I don't necessarily even like Florentino that much. I'm just, I, I like to think that I'm realistic about it. And it's also that I criticize him for different things. So a lot of people got mad at him for not buying a striker in the summer transfer window of 2018. What I get mad at Florentino Perez for is for like what, I, I just can't see a pattern. I can't see a strategy when it comes to picking coaches. Like this whole season has just been an example of that, right? Like you can even go back further. Sacks Ancelotti hires Benitez, which very few people thought was a good choice. Benitez gets sacked. He really doesn't know who else to go to. Zidane, like a complete, almost unknown. The only thing we did know about him was that he wasn't that great at Castilla. And he comes out of nowhere and pulls three champions out of that. To me, that's just like, that's just getting fucky. Like there's no way you could have foreseen Zidane doing that. Then we go and get a coach in Lopetegui, who I don't think was a terrible decision, but, you know, his what he had done, like his resume, club football resume, was quite small. He had a stint with Porto that didn't end that well, and then it was all international football from there. And then Lopetegui has some bad luck. He does a little things wrong. You sack him, and then you hire the worst possible option in Solari, and then, surprise, surprise, it goes completely wrong. You sack Solari, and then we're considering Jose Mourinho because he goes on TV and he says some clever tactical things. And Zidane comes back and he saves us. And we, we just latch onto him when Pochettino would have been available in the summer. To me, it's just like we're just panicking. We're just looking at names and just taking them out of a hat almost. And to me, that's where the strongest criticism of Florentino Perez and whoever else is involved in, in, in making those decisions needs to come because – that is what they are in full control of, and it's. I mean, the record is not good. I mean, it's 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 not very good ever since Ancelotti got sacked. I was okay with the Lopetegui signing because I think the Zidane uh, resignation caught them off guard, and the market for coaches this summer wasn't great. And Lopetegui, I think, had a good track record with Spain at least, and a lot of kind of mutual players between the two squads of Spain and Real Madrid. I, w I was okay with it. What I wasn't okay with, exactly what you mentioned, in terms of just flipping through Lopetegui as soon as it got rough. And it did. It was it was bad. And I think like after, after a bad string of results, I think it was like, what, how many games? Six or seven in a row without scoring a goal, which had, had reached or matched some kind of record in the club's history. And then following that with the Clasico just getting waxed without Messi. There's some, there's some, something has to happen in that situation, but the, the ultimate the problem, the ultimate problem is the lack of patience and the lack of vision. Because I, I can't, I, I can't discuss this anymore. It's been so many podcasts, and if I 
say it one more time. I'm just a broken record. And I, I don't really want to put our <laughs> listeners through that. But it's a, it's a lack of patience. And, uh, you know, if, if you don't have a long-term vision in place, even a short-term vision in place, you don't know what kind of manager you want. And you end up getting a manager that is night and day different to the previous one. And, it, and then it's like, it's like going from hot to cold, like overnight. And you don't really know. The players have no idea what kind of style of football they're supposed to be playing from one season to the next and one month to the next because they don't know who's their coach. Uh, you know, like it might be a good time to bring up that Zidane quote from Ted. Do you have it in front of you, Om, still? Yes. So, um, yeah, I have it in front of me, but I have to scroll down. Okay, I got it. So he says, um, and this was in a number of other things he said, but in, in one of the most notable things that he, he said was, I will be clear about who will play when the next season starts. It's my decision. Who do you think is in charge of this team? It's clear as water. I'm the coach. I will always do what I want. And if I can't, then I'll quit. That's clear. Yeah, so I think, imagine now having said all that, because that is very clear in telling what he said. Because last podcast or last week, Eduardo and I were talking about control and like what does Zidane actually have the full control. He brought up the fact that, you know, there are certain journalists in the Spanish press work basically under Florentino's pocket where Florentino will tell them to kind of test the waters of the public about certain signings and see how they react. And actually, based on their colleague's response, can also like retract and, and kind of decide whether he wants to actually sign them or not. And several of these journalists had put out like, you know, these feelers on, on Pogba and, uh, and Ericsson. So he thought because they were doing that, maybe like Zidane didn't have the control that we initially thought. And then we went into this deep discussion about how much control should the coach actually have? Is the coach going to make the best decisions every time? Is he, does he have the full context of the vision of the long-term plan of the continuity? You trust that Zidane would because he has the club at heart. Heart, He knows the younger players. He has invested interest in the long-term interest of the club. But this is telling because he's kind of come out and just said it. Like if basically that, if he quits, it's basically a a fallout of him not getting the control that he wanted. And I'm just thinking of a scenario next year if that happens, if the summer goes a certain way or like we find out later that Zidane actually didn't really have a say as much as he wanted to. And then he quits. It's a, it's a really bad look. So I'm hoping it doesn't get to that stage if he resigns. Because imagine if he resigns next year. It's obviously going to be a situation that the club is in a terrible spot. And uh, and it also sends a bad message to any other coach who would be theoretically looking at this job. I also wonder, Om, like, I don't know if you and I have ever talked about this, but we, the, the, Florentino had two options when he sacked Solari. One was to continue the rest of the season. And I don't think the Champions League spot was ever really in jeopardy. I mean, Zidane has lost like a bunch of games and has, hasn't won a single away game yet since he took over. So it's like the results would have been worse than they are now with Zidane taking over. So his options were, one, to let Solari continue and get and just look at the market. I'm not saying you get Pochettino. I'm not saying you get Ten Hag. I'm just saying you at least have Zidane in the summer if you want him, if there's no one else available. 
should he have just waited? Or the the counter argument to that is, and Zidane has alluded to this, that he Zidane wanted to come early because he wanted to see firsthand the problems of the team up close. And so that was the case for bringing him in now. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess. But I, from the beginning, have been arguing for the former. Like, I mean, the problems of the team up close are also, like, tactical. And so many people, when I said we should have, like, kept Solari till the end of the season, and I was no Solari from the beginning and still was after that disaster, quite obviously. And people were telling me it's an extended preseason um, Zidane will get to like try out new things, show his philosophy. Like the tactics have been horrible. Like I mean, I mean, as I mean, I just don't know any other way to say it. Like, and I haven't seen Zidane adapt anything to like what is a different squad, if only because of the fact that Ronaldo has gotten, which is a huge difference, makes a huge difference to our attacking strategy. And Zidane's just kind of done the same things. So. If the only thing is for him to come up close and see what the players look like, I mean, I, I mean, I don't know how I feel about that because the problem isn't just the players; the problem is also tactics. And the way we've ended the season is on such like a dispiriting note. Like Zidane's, like the the, the new manager effect plus Zidane's aura, like lifted us for two, three games maximum, and then was just back to the same thing because the season was meaningless and. There was no result we could get that would make the season better. So, I, I mean, I, I'm personally struggle to like see the benefit. And if Zidane's conclusion is that Marcos Llorente needs to go, and you know that sort of thing, then like, I mean, he's making the wrong decision. So I would have rather just, I would have rather just kept Solari to it in the season. But to go back all the way to like the original like discussion you were having about, you know. Should, how much control should the coach have and stuff? I think all of this gets solved if we have an actual sporting director. Like, I know Jose Angel Sanchez does the negotiations, um, but, like, it's still Florentino Perez, you know, and him getting together and identifying targets and all of that. Like, if we had a clear role with his own set of power about making transfer targets, like, then it clear, sets a very clear, you know, difference in power between like the separations of powers in the club and there's not much argument there the the coach gives his input the sporting director makes the decision that's it that's how all almost all modern clubs are going now because it's just too ambiguous otherwise and it just creates all this friction and tension like you have guys like Mourinho coming in saying I want all the power how much does all the power even mean like we don't know it creates Sidon has to make these kind of statements to me it's just there's a reason all the modern clubs are going this way, and I think I think Real Madrid should do it as well. But I mean, that's up to how much power Florentino Perez wants to give up. Like, if you want to critique him, right? I think these types of nuanced critiques make more sense than like he couldn't sign a striker, so which wasn't really all that possible anyway. Like, it, it's stuff like this that I think makes more sense. And yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it's just I, it's frustrating at this point. Like, like you said kind of sounding like a broken record i know i've said this many times but yeah it's just i don't even know where i where i'm ending up like with 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 what i wanted to say but i think i think i got all my points out even if it wasn't in the most coherent manner no it was coherent it's the sporting director thing is is completely long overdue and i you know i don't care like how much it's downplayed it's it's much needed i just don't think like everyone should have their role within the club 
from the president to the CEO to the manager. And once you start having like player managers and God, God knows we, we, we saw like how much of a disaster it can be even in the, in the NBA when that happens with Doc Rivers. Um, we saw the other, the other version of that was Steve Ballmer trying to run the ownership and also the general operations. And that was a disaster. Uh, I think that you let Zidane choose kind of like oversee everything. I, I think he's bound to make mistakes and, terms of who he chooses and that's fine like i'm not asking for perfection um he has trophies to back it up and i'd rather have trophies over mistakes that fans complain about but this the sporting director thing like there's a reason why you know manchester city is so well run right now apart from all the corruption and all the scandals (laughs) (laughs) but just in terms of the football like cheeky up there like has completely knows the kind of guy and philosophy he wants his team to play. Monchi with Sevilla, it's just over and over again, like clockwork. They produce, they they have the same style, same identity. The coaches that come through have that vision. And there's just continuity despite wholesale turnover every time. And I, I think that Real Madrid really lacks that. I don't think there's two ways about it. I think it's like it's, it's not quite e- clear. It's not even like people think you can you have to go like one way. Like if you want to be this way like be consistent, be well-run, get proper targets, like all of that, have the communication. You have to go entirely like an Ajax way and just have a philosophy you never divert from. That's not true. I mean, just look at the way Liverpool and Jurgen Klopp did it, right? Like, sure. can you tell me like that, well, the style that Klopp is playing now, which by the way has evolved, you know, the, what the style Klopp is playing now is not the quote-unquote like heavy metal football. It's not at all like that. Um, you know, can you tell me that's that's like the, the philosophy that defines Liverpool? Of course not. But if you look at how Klopp sat down, analyzed everything in his squad, identified what his style would be and how it may adapt over time, and then said, okay, these are the targets I need. This is what makes sense. And Liverpool sporting director said, okay, let's see who we can get. And they worked smartly in the market to achieve targets. Like people keep making fun of like Liverpool's midfield, like, oh, they have Fabinho, they have Wijnaldum, they even played Oxlade-Chamberlain in there. But these were all signings that made perfect sense for Klopp's system. Yes. And you know, so when a new coach comes in, that changes and they're going to change the way they do it, but it'll still be, it'll still be smartly done. So you can have deferring philosophies, but you do it based on the coach you have, right? So, like, Zidane should, you know, be able to show, like, you know, the board or whatever, this is what I plan to do, this is how I plan to play. And then you have a guy who specializes in going out and finding guys that fit. That's how it works. I mean, it's not overly complicated. This is how all modern football clubs do. But with Real Madrid, it's 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 in this old world kind of thing, and it creates all this weird tension and stuff. And I think it explains a lot of what we're seeing now. Right. That I'm glad, and I'm glad you brought all that up. I like, and obviously, the evolution of the football played at a certain club, and the identity can morph, and that's fine. But I like, even like you mentioned, club. I would say like Ten Hag. People like Barca fans go crazy over this guy and say like he could never be a Real Madrid coach, and he's a Barcelona coach. This guy actually has even nothing to do with Ajax or Barca or Cruyff. He's just there with a really attacking brand of football and a great pressing and counter pressing scheme, and. It's like really a never. It's it's really not um, that entire like total football cry f- philosophy, and I I just think that like and that's fine. But like 
there's a big difference between that evolution and tactical blueprint kind of still tying into the club's idea than from going from Ancelotti to Benitez. It's like completely 180, you know? <laughs> it's it's completely illogical and has it's you know like I I don't need to repeat myself here I, you know you you get what I'm saying like it's just yeah you know there's that, we spent we spent a lot of time on this question but I think I think we touched on some important things and I think a lot of things that fans like have issues with like I, I feel I felt it was worth laying it out like this I, I feel like we've touched on this before. But at least in the ones that I've been involved with, like this was, I think, the most comprehensive, like of just discussing this fully and touching on all the points. So I hope I hope you all found us spending like 30 minutes on this question worth it. All right. Shabazz Sharipov says, why haven't Madrid thought of signing Lewandowski? I mean, OK, so we spent 30 minutes on that question. We can spend 30 seconds on this one. We did. And Bayern just flat out said no. Yeah, I don't. I don't think it was a matter of they didn't think about it. They definitely thought about it. Yeah, there but, was solid, solid reporting that we inquired about Lewandowski, and they, Bayern just said absolutely not. Uh, Jauzi Dos Santos says, "Who would you choose to keep for next season, out of Mariano or Raúl de Tomas, if it was down to you, um, and you'd have the option of loaning the other one out?" I, th- I think you've watched Raúl de Tomas more than I have. If you asked me this last season, it would have been a no-brainer, Mariano. If you asked me this now, and this is coming from someone who really loves Mariano, I still believe in him. I I choose Raul Tomas. Uh, I think actually, as impressive as Mariano was last se- last season, and his goal scoring ratio was actually really good. It was among the best in Liga in last season. I think he's physically gifted in ways that only certain footballers. Are and the way he can get to crosses on some of those headers are just absolutely ridiculous. I think he's technically gifted. I think he's a good presser. He works hard. I think he's going to be a really good player still. I think what Raul Thomas did was actually more impressive this season. And I think it's because like he was literally surrounded by zeros. It was a completely relegation-destined team. And he was he was generating his own shots. He was barely touching the ball because Raya wouldn't touch the ball. And he would pop up and score. And he's one of the best goal scorers in the league. And so I'm unclear of what happens to him because I don't know what kind of role he accepts because he could, on one hand, stay next season, be a backup to Jovic and Benzema. Or he could be a starter elsewhere. So I'm not exactly sure where his head is at. He said mixed things throughout the season. Early on the season, he said I had to leave Real Madrid for the sake of my career. And I think like he opened up a little bit differently a couple months ago where he, he said he would love to come back to Real Madrid. I don't, so I don't know what he's thinking exactly. But if the club has a choice to, to bring him, which they obviously do, and they can talk, talk to him, and they have to choose between those two, and you still get to keep one of them and loan the other one out, i choose Raul de Tomas and, uh, and loan Mariano out. My my understanding is like Raul de Tomas is also like more of a complete forward than Mariano. Like his style would just, I think, I, I mean, I don't want to compare him to Benzema, but like, you know, when you talk about him creating his own shots, like in his, in a system like Rio, that, you know, that's also about like his technical quality, his dribbling, 
you know, his ability to bring others into place so then the team can be in a position so that he can shoot. Um, I mean, Mariano, like, I think people can over-exaggerate, like, the fact that, like, his first touch isn't great and stuff, but I, I, I wouldn't at all say Mariano's in that type of mold. Like, Mariano is very much like a classic nine who is not going to really contribute that much in other areas. So it might just suit Real Madrid better. Well, Raul I mean, Thomas, you're, I think you're right. I think they're both traditional nines in a lot of ways, but Raul Thomas is a really good dribbler. Um, he's actually really good defensively. I don't think he is. I don't think he's as nearly as good as link, uh, in his link-up play as someone like Benzema. Yeah, obviously. Um, but that's a pretty high bar. So I think, like with Mariano. It also seems I am also not sure if like how much either of them would be used under Zidane to be honest. I don't know. But I think both of them are still like at their peak if they can stay healthy. I think they're like their ceiling is kind of like that I don't know, Spanish Europa League to bottom Champions League team, like someone like Valencia, someone like Sevilla, that kind of team is I think where their ceiling is a starter for those teams. Which is, I think, if you have that player coming off the bench for you, I think it's it's a pretty good asset to have. I also think that there's going to be minutes for him because I assume if Jovic comes, Zidane won't just be playing with Zidane with Jovic or Benzema. I think <laughs> I, I think he'll actually be playing with with he'll find minutes with both of them together. I think with Hazard on the left in a four four two. That makes me kind of nervous, but that's that's an entire. I know that's goal. the other thing I was thinking about too. Is like because I I honestly don't see Zidane benching Benzema. I really don't. So then you have, I think you would you you actually would have a scenario which with Jovic, Benzema, and Hazard. I'm not like I, I'm not. I wouldn't completely rule out the idea that Zidane doesn't start Vinicius next season. I mean, I really think that's a very high. Wait, are you saying that he won't or will? I don't think. I don't think Vinicius will be a starter for Zidane next season. I think that's a very high possibility, and I'm shocked that more Madridistas aren't considering the fact that bringing in the second-best left-winger in the world would affect a player who plays on the left wing. Who's the best left-winger? In my opinion, Neymar. Oh, Neymar. Okay. Um, Where are we at? Brennan Power says... Oh yeah, Brennan Power says, "Keon, that shot by Kawhi was insane. As a Sixers fan, it broke my heart. How do you feel about Embiid? Among Sixers fans, he's viewed immensely, but by opposing fans, it's a mixed bag." The Kawhi shot. So I don't. You haven't. You weren't in uh, Canada, obviously, home. So I don't know if you felt the effects of it. But Canada just like shook for like it was like it was a big giant Canadian earthquake for a good. 24 hours because I mean, after I saw, I saw all the videos of like of like um jurassic park and just going crazy it was an amazing shot like I'm, i i mean i don't i had i had no stake in that game but even i was like holy shit yeah but did you have any any sympathy for philly in that moment yeah i did especially when i saw Embiid crying like yeah. i mean i really like Embiid. i rate him really highly um and also gabe and i've been trying to get him to come on the managing Madrid podcast <laughs> very un- very unsuccessfully i must say but yeah, that that gave a human element. I mean, I don't know if Embiid hadn't started crying that, like, you know, when when you're a sports fan, you kind of become like immune to that kind of thing. You just have to. 
but I, I thought it was a nice moment. Well, I mean, not nice to see someone crying, but like it showed us just how much it means to those players. Um, and Kawhi's reaction also, like it was the two opposite ends of the spectrum. Like Kawhi, you just never see any emotion from him. And for him to be yelling like that, just like right opposite to Embiid, just bawling his eyes out, I think it, it was a very powerful moment. That, that to me is like a top five moment in you know my short history of watching the NBA. And then in the press conference after, he was like already over it and turned into a robot again. <laughs> but it like <clears throat> also because Raptor fans have never have anything good happen to them. So it was it was also unexpected. Like somehow, I don't know what it was, but after 25 years of this club existing, someone up there finally decided like, let's just give them one moment. Just one. Because well, like, I think even decide. like, I think God even decided like the ball was going out, but then he was like, no, nah, I'm just going to blow it back in from the other side. Well, well, the, the footballing gods decided to do that because they knew you were going to get massacred by the Bucks in the next round. So they were like, we'll just give them something. Yeah. Yeah. The Bucks is a, that whole series is a disaster. Um, but the, the other thing about like the aftermath of that shot was no one in Canada worked the next day. Everyone was talking about it. Like I was trying to write, but really I was just looking at a different. I was I watched that shot in every single language I possibly could. I watched all the memes. Uh, I watched all the reactions. So like that's basically what I did all day the next day. Uh, Brennan has a follow up question to this. That has nothing to do with this, but he says for both of you, what's your top three favorite Real Madrid jerseys over the last decade? Ooh. Um... Okay, well, number one for me is... Well, I know Keon has a much longer selection to choose from, so this is going to be hard to No, because in, it's but, only last decade. Oh, last decade. That's 2009. Well, I'm, I'm, I actually don't I'm, even think there are three jerseys that I like from the last decade. I'm stupid, so I didn't hear the question properly. But, um, okay. So, 11-12 gold jersey is, like, right up there at the top. Like, And we have another gold jersey coming out for, you know, this next season that, I mean, I don't know, like... I, I always need to see it on the players before I really decide. It might, might equal it, but 11-12, just with the memories, like, that's number one. Um, there was just, I mean, I, I'm just listing ones that come off the top of my head now. There was a really nice, like, green one in the Champions League in the 2012-13 season, and I just thought, like, it was such a unique green, and it just looked so slick. Like, I don't know whether that divided opinion or what, but I, I just know I really, really like that jersey. It was the one we played against Manchester United with and Madrid scored that goal. Right. Um, and then, so I know there are ones I like more than this, but to me, the dragon black one in 14-15 was just so unique. Yeah. I'd never seen anything like that. And just watching us go away in the first half of the season and just ripping teams to pieces in that black jersey just was so iconic to me. And that's like when, you know, Ray Hudson gave Ronaldo the Dark Invader nickname and all of that. So, like, it had good memories and it was unique enough that I liked it. I mean, I don't know if that's like my exact top three, but off the top of my head, I liked those a lot. I didn't like this past decade wasn't among my favorite in terms of just Real Madrid jerseys. So I, I struggled to even think of three apart from the, 012 one, the 2012 one you mentioned, which I think is universally well-loved. <clears throat> um. I do like I did like the purple one we wore in the sixteen seventeen final against Juve. Yeah, that was nice. I yeah. like that. The uh the away one this season actually was pretty nice. No, last season, sorry. The the black with the teal trim. 
Yeah, that was nice. I really Yeah, that, that was nice. What was I think it was fifteen sixteen where we had the gray pajamas. Oh man. The With one like where the like it was neon, just you yeah, saw the, the whole yellow. I we could, you could see the sweat stains. Yeah, the sweat that stains. That was pretty bad. That was one of the worst. Yeah, that was sure. undoubtedly the worst ever in the club's history, I think. <laughs> uh, Patrick Odayafadi says, should we be worried about the moves Barca are making? De Ligt, the young Griezmann. I feel we have a, we need a few more signings to be able to watch, to be able to match Barca in the league next year. Will Hazard and Jovic be enough to challenge them? What do you think needs to be done with the squad to mount a proper title challenge in the league and Champions League? In my opinion, we need to go back to the 16-17 model when we had a deep squad with big-time game-changers on the bench, similar to Man City. You want to take this first? Well, should we be worried about the moves Barca are making? I think yes. I think a lot of people will say like it's stupid to focus on your own team. I think that's true, but also like I will like come, I I really think that all three of those players are going to improve Barca. De Ligt is a generational defender in my opinion. De Young will bolster their midfield. Funny and, you say that when the question that comes like two questions after um okay, but go on. Uh and then Griezmann I saw people argue with me on Twitter that Griezmann is not a good signing. I see the point in the sense that him and Messi theoretically occupy the same position. But the the flip side to that is, stylistically, he fits Barca like a glove, I think. Um, he's versatile enough. He can play anywhere in the front three. He can play the false nine. He can give Suarez rest. He can give Messi rest. He can play deeper in the midfield. Like with France, you see, you saw him create so much from like a deeper position. He's good defensively. He's a good presser, good counter presser. He gives you immediate, like consistent reliability from that third attacker, which was always in limbo for Barca ever since Neymar left with Dembele's health and Coutinho just not really being the guy they thought he was going to be. All three of those players improve Barca. Uh, I do think Hazard and Jovic will be significant upgrades for Real Madrid. And they're very must-needed signings. I also agree about the depth thing. Um, ultimately, every every champion will need depth, and they'll need quality depth. So, there's nothing in this that I really I I disagree with. So, I I we do need to have a deep team. I think Jovic and Hazard are going to be great signings. I also do think Barca are just going to be really hard to compete with domestically again. Well, I mean. Yeah, I mean, in terms of the general points, I agree. Like, more specifically, like, I would say we're, we have more depth already than Man City in certain positions. Like, for example, who do Man City play when Fernandinho is injured? Like, they've... Gundogan back there question. sometimes. Yeah, Gundogan, who's not really defensive midfielder. They've fiddled with John Stones playing there. They've fiddled with a double pivot. Like, I think our midfield depth um, it's quite strong except for one position. So like Hazard, Jovic, I mean, I've been clear that I don't think Hazard is that necessary, but there's no debate that he, I mean, he would be good. Um, you know, I, I feel like Jovic is very necessary and it probably fills the biggest need in the squad. But I think one more we need to make, and really I'm comfortable after that, um, is I think we need 
someone who's going to replace Modric's influence in the final third. Yeah, And I, I went into this in depth beforehand, but that to me is also a place that we really need to look at. But, you know, it, once – and then the other thing I wanted to say is like that 16-17 model, if we can have that every time I go for it, and it should certainly be aiming for something like that. But there was a reason it only happened once, and yeah. it's because we had such good players on the bench. They weren't happy with their small role, and they left. So – I mean, that was a pretty unique situation. But yeah, in principle, you should have good depth. And I don't think anyone would disagree with that. The sixteen seventeen thing, Will, is, is going to happen once in a blue moon. Because I think you, you build up a team like that. And eventually they get to a talent level where the bench is what it was that year. And eventually they you can't keep them. And that's just that's just the reality across every sport. It's not just football or Real Madrid. Uh I think there are certain positions in this team that although they're deep and stacked, they still need an upgrade, as counterintuitive as that sounds. Because I'd rather have a superstar or a player that it will just transcend and take you to another level than have a bunch of solid players who are just good. Hazard was one of them in that sense that it's unfortunate that it's the Vinicius role, but if you can find a way to for Vinicius and Hazard to coexist, then great. That's... That's phenomenal because I don't I don't think Vinicius should take a back seat necessarily. See, see the bigger need. Okay, so there's no doubt that Hazard is a significantly bigger upgrade. But to me, when I think of that position, I don't know if you're going to say this, so I apologize if I cut you off. But to me, the right wing position is where we could really use that kind of like transcendental talent. I, I simultaneously, the issue is is it's difficult to think of players like that that we could actually go out and sign. But that is where I really feel, especially if we're going to sell Bale, which looks fairly likely, is I, I really feel like we could use it there. Um, but otherwise, like, I'd be fine with, you know, the previous signings that I mentioned, plus that midfield one. I mean, I don't know how you feel about that. I don't know if that was what you were going to say. Oh, I was gonna. I was gonna get to that spot. I think the one even more urgent to that, even though we have so many players in that position on paper is the mode ritual like you mentioned because I think no I, I don't know if people I really think that one of the main reasons for the decline outside of Ronaldo leaving was Modric just completely declining like we forget how incredible he was over the past few years and how much he did to mass tactical holes how much he did as a box to box midfielder, and then when I when I hear people say Odegaard can take that role, I'm just like my mind gets blown. Like I don't I don't know if people actually remember how good Modric was. He's the best central midfielder the club has ever seen for a reason, and he did so much as a box to box player midfielder. He did, he did so much to cover for the team's right back. He got involved offensively. His creating genius was like knew no bounds. He was press resistant. He could dribble through tight spaces. I think that. It's an it's easier said than done to replace that position, and I get that you don't have to replace him for a like for like, but I also am not sure if you you put someone who can't do that there and you want to mask it with a tactical system. I'm skeptical that will happen at Real Madrid in this era. Um, one, I mean, I'm not sure we have any other choice than that, but I would I would I would agree with that skepticism. One player though, Om, that I think can can really help in that particular position is Endombele. I think he brings everything to the table. He ticks off all the boxes of what you need. Um, Zidane seems to like him because he's French, um, among other things. (laughs) 
but he's also a great box-to-box midfielder. He is very good on the ball. He's press-resistant. He's good defensively. He can join the attack. I think he. I think he helps that position a lot. Like if you had to put gun to my head and ask me between him, Pogba, and Eriksen, I'd, I'd take Endombele. I just think it's a it's a more urgent fit. The right wing slot. Um, here's some scenarios for you. And I. This well, is. Comp- well, I mean. Mm. So I mean. The thing is, though, I see Ndombele as, like, more of someone who would actually play the pivot role. Like, I get he's all action, but, like, to me, he matches the mold of, like, what people like to say is a, a, a mobile regista. Like, I mean, just essentially someone who can be more of a playmaker from the defensive midfielder role. And he also seems to suit, like, I think a double pivot really well. I just have, like, a slight, I just have a skepticism that, like, the interior role where, like, it's, really also about like that final third influence that's that's that that's the role for him if you understand what i'm saying especially when we i I mean like his creation numbers are like average i mean mainly because like he's mainly played a a lot of times he's played deeper roles but i don't know like it's hard to say like i i I would really need i mean I, i have to do this regardless like really dive in and really do the full scouting report, but just like from from the perspective that I have now, that's kind of how I see it. But I am open to the way you're putting it right now, and I'm not at all shutting it down. I'm just kind of bringing up that like other side. Yeah, well, I I think we'll see a deviation from the four three three next season, and I think like how about this, Om? If you if you find out a way to play Vinicius, Hazard, Jovic, and Benzema together. Doesn't that lessen the need for that right winger? Like, I'm not saying Hazard can play the right wing role. And I and Vinicius, we have a very, very small sample size there, but I think his best role is still from the left wing. Then you have... Like, I don't... Whoa. I think... I actually see Hazard maybe... And I'm not saying this is what should or shouldn't happen, but I wouldn't be surprised to see Hazard in that East Coast role from the diamond. Because he can... Then you get Vinicius can play on that left wing... Um, no, I see that kind of throws everything out of the way. But see, I, see, okay, so my see my issue is with trying to like get all these guys in is it's just defensively I just don't see how it's going to work. Like you can not. say it's all, just going to be it's it hasn't worked Hazard, in the past three years. Hazard's like Hazard is brilliant. Like I have so many good things to say about him. Like people think because I have skepticisms about the need for him at Real Madrid that I don't like him as a player. He has, from day one, always been one of my favorite players. And for a long time, I felt like people like underappreciated him because he didn't score that many goals because he did so many other great things. Like People know I'm like that link-up guy. Like I like people who also do the work that doesn't get noticed like on the attacking stat sheet. But if the, there's one thing I can't deny about him is that his defensive work rate is just not that strong. And part of it is energy conservation because he does so much on the offensive end. But you have to take that into account when trying to like fit all these guys in together, and it's part of the reason why why I feel like Vinicius is just going to lose out. Like, I just can't say see a way to pack all these guys together and make it work defensively. I mean, in defensive transition, even with our strongest lineup, has always been a huge weakness. And you know, in in the Zidane era, like if I was to point, like, what is the one thing that Zidane needs to improve the most? That is it. And I just don't think it works with those lineups, but. I mean, that's the challenge. Like, if, I mean, if Zidane wants these guys, 
then he, he has a plan. I'm just really interested to see what it is. Well, I think that's also, it gives you the case to <clears throat> what what does the revolution actually look like? Because if you think that you need to sell Gareth Bale and replace him, do you really need to replace him? Because if you... So I, so I don't think it's absolutely necessary. Like, let's say we do not get a right winger. I'm totally comfortable with bringing Odegaard back, which I've wanted for a while now, and having him in a sense, he'll be those guys with Lucas being like, the ultimate backup and Brahim Diaz going on loan. I know people want him to stay, but in my opinion, I personally think a loan would be best for him. Um, to me, I'm fine with that. You also but forgot Asensio. No, I said Asensio and Odegaard on the oh, right. I mean, I hope I did. In my mind, maybe I said I didn't say it out loud, but that I, Asensio, Odegaard, I'm cool with that. Like, I think I, I really like that, and I think this the potential there is very high. But if we were looking at one aside from the midfield position, we already pretty much have the striker filled out. If we were looking for one position where we bring in, like you were saying, that transcendental talent, to me it would be the right wing. And it may have and, and after all I've seen this season, I might have also said the left. But when I have Isco, who I, I still think I mean, why not play him there? And you have also Vinicius, who proved so much this season and basically showed us that he could be that transcendental guy a couple years from now, to me, it just looks like the right needs that player more, if we really want it. I'm cool with it not happening, um, but outside of midfield, that's where I'd look Two to, to make my decision clear. Two players that I'm really interested to see what happens to, because I, I feel like I have a good feel that Asensio will stay. I think he's a Zidane-type player. I think Zidane likes him, believes in him. Um, the two that I'm curious about are Lucas Vasquez and Isco. Lucas Vasquez is the type of player that Zidane loves. Every predecessor coach loved him. He always found a way to get his minutes. Um, I think it's at a stage like there's clear clear talent upgrades on him in both in the squad and potential. Like if if you ask me, would I rather have? Odegaard on loan at Ajax, or would I rather him taking Vasquez's minutes next season? I would rather him taking Vasquez's minutes next season. But I, my my hunch is that Asensio stays, Odegaard goes to Ajax with the buyback, and uh, and Isco I'm unsure about because Isco. Yeah, I have no idea. Like that's Hazard so and Vinicius is so that means Isco has to play in that deeper role, which would put him in the cross. Slash Modric slash whoever that new midfielder. He is might right. he might be the guy that replaces Modric in Zidane's mind. So so Isco like I just don't know what to say like it's just a wait and see. Lucas is super interesting for me because I feel like he's one of those guys you can not sell but still demote in the squad if you get what I'm saying because demote I demote him Lucas, like five places. <laughs> I mean, yeah I mean I like think at, at some point it's just like. If you demote him far enough, he just won't play. Well, I mean, I think... Well, okay, so I'll, I'll get to that. But I think, for one, Lucas is just... I would... Unless it's absolutely necessary until it becomes to that point, um, I would always keep him because I just don't feel like he's going to be the type of guy to complain about that. Like, I mean, he, he just doesn't seem that type of personality. He seems like he's content with whatever minutes he gets. And also, two is I can still see... With everything you said about preferring Odegaard and stuff, I'd agree. I can still see Zidane playing him quite a bit because yeah, me too. Zidane's defensive transition 
is about individuals covering for structural issues. Casemiro, Modric, and Lucas Vasquez are yeah. the three guys. And and I and I said that in in descending order, like of importance for protecting the defensive transition. So I can still see it. So it's just like I said, it's an interesting question. There's so many angles and ways of looking at it. You can look at it from our perspective, and then you can look at it from Zidane's perspective, and like it just produces so many answers. So yeah, this is this is going to be an interesting off season, and whatever happens, good or bad, is going to be a very very interesting season. Yes. Um, Rafael Servia says, Why didn't Real Madrid chase Griezmann? This had been eating me since yesterday. I almost feel like Barca are making the right moves and Real Madrid is left in the dust. I know it's not entirely true, but when I see it, see De Ligt and Griezmann linked to Barca, it drives me nuts. So, I mean, I mean, also it depends on the players wanting to come here, right? Like, why would... Griezmann want to come to a crosstown city rival like I mean that's just not going to happen and also Ajax has that connection with Barcelona um, they're they're always going to sell to Barcelona because they have that holier than thou Cruyff connection I mean it's as simple as that like why didn't we chase Griezmann because he was never coming here like I don't have anything else to say besides that I would have taken them in a heartbeat though I uh I thought about the Griezmann situation a lot because in terms of just fit at Real Madrid, I mean, he's exactly the guy you would, that describes the, what, you're, what you're asking for him, the, the right wing, kind of that, that superstar who could, who could take you to the, to the next level and despite your depth and just upgrade that position. I think he would have helped a lot. Anyway, it's, it's kind of a moot point because as you said, he just, it's not an attainable player at this point. Um, Varun says, Real Madrid have a pack of young Mavericks and new superstars arriving, and the same is the case with Barca, City, and Liverpool. But United, Atletico, Juve, Bayern, PSG, they have one or two superstars. The rest of their squad is average. Is this situation going to affect the competitiveness of club football in long term? Disclaimer, in my teens, I saw Messi, Ronaldo, Raul, Zidane, Figo, Gerard, Lampard, Ramos, etc., and all of them became world elite class for the present generation, but for but for Mbappe, I cannot even see one generational player. I hope Vinicius, Dembele, Brahim, etc. prove me wrong. Generational players, who do we have now? Uh, well, Mbappe number one. I, I think I think Usman Dembele has that talent. Um, whether it's gonna happen for him at Barcelona, I do not know. I think you mentioned Matthias De Ligt. Um, I think I completely butchered his first name, but um, Delict for me is a generational talent in defense. If Vallejo could actually, you know, not break his legs every time he stepped onto the pitch, yeah, I think there's still some hope for him to reach that potential. Um, you know, it it's always hard to see if a young player is generational until after the fact, except for very obvious cases like. Mbappe like we always knew Cristiano Ronaldo was talented but aside from like Sir Alex Ferguson because who just bigs up his players because that's who he is people weren't really saying he was going to become generationally great like there was like world class it's just so hard to see like I would say Vinicius has that potential um but 
Is it a guarantee that he gets there? No, because to become a generational great is literally just putting you in an all-time conversation. It's very difficult to see. Um, and I think it's even more difficult to see with central midfielders until like they, they start maturing. Like yeah. So many people didn't didn't look at Modric in that way until he came to Real Madrid. Like I would say the smart football fans, quote unquote smart football fans, like saw him that way at Tottenham as like a midfielder of the future, one of the very best. But until he came to Real Madrid and until he had that breakout season in 2013-14, people were not talking about Modric as a generational midfielder, just in like the common discourse. And Modric was in his prime when he came to Real Madrid. So it's it's often hard to see at the present moment. Um, like goalkeepers, like I don't know, could Lunin become goalkeepers it's even harder to tell because people just I, our ability to evaluate goalkeepers is it's not great and I, I say that for myself just as much as I say for anyone because I mean what we see them make a save and then we see them let in a goal and it's like unless it's like a Casillas situation it's just so hard to see so well I mean, I mean it's really hard to at, tell like you said I mean at the end of the day we will have just as many great players as before. I mean, that's just the nature of the sport. Like, I would not worry about are there going to be a lot of generational great players. Of course there are. Like, I mean, has have we, can we look to a generation essentially since the 50s, which is where we considered, like, the start of modern football? Can we look at a situation where there wasn't, like, tons and tons of great generational players? We can't. It's not going to disappear just because we, we can't see who they are now. We're we're gonna look back in like I don't know five six ten years whatever and 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 look back at the names and and probably be surprised of which ones turned out to be those generational guys. Like with some guys, it's clearly on whether it's Mbappe or OG Ronaldo or um, Ronaldinho. I think we knew at a pretty young age. Others like you mentioned, you mentioned Modric, Xavi and Iniesta peaked pretty late in their careers. And like no, you, actually, no one was talking about them as generational, even when they were like, Xavi was like 25, 26. Right. And then Zidane himself, really, it was his late 20s when he peaked and, and started to become like Zidane. Um, there, are, there are a lot of examples of players like just later in their careers becoming that player. In terms of right now, you mentioned, well, I mentioned Delich, but I, I think you kind of agreed. And then... You mentioned maybe Dembele. I'm not 100% there on Dembele yet, although I can see the potential. Uh, I think I think De Bruyne, pretty much like any time I see him when he's healthy, I see that potential in him that he's just, he can be like the best player in the world on any given day. I guess the problem is he's 27, so I'd be looking to, for him to really make that leap now. Um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's it's about longevity for De Bruyne. I think his peak is pretty pretty damn high already. It's it's about yeah. like how many of those seasons can he put together? But yeah, I mean, so like we can start listing off like when you ask who are the talented young guys, we we can go on forever. I mean, that's not a problem for us. I don't think it's a problem for any football fan. But when you ask generationally great, then it becomes so difficult because it's about – that's such a huge claim, right? Like, no one wants to, like, be stupid and say, like, oh, this guy who's 15 years old, this is a generationally great player. 
there's a reason it only appears like two guys are going to be that way or like maybe one guy if that is just Mbappe because it's so hard to see. I mean, we could talk about tons of young guys who could be really good. We've got Marcos Llorente. We can talk about Brahim. But generationally, great. it goes back to everything we say. It's just you're not gonna you're not gonna see that until later because it's such a huge thing to say. It's almost like asking who is going to be a goat out of this. And even with Mbappe, I, I I'm hesitant to say that, like because it's such a huge claim and it's just something you're not gonna see now. Yeah, I mean it's not inconceivable Mbappe at some point some you know in an unexpected turn something happens. It's you know I'm not saying it's injuries, but it's it's uh, maybe he just does doesn't live up to it it's not it's not crazy like there's we've had a lot of insanely talented players that you know they don't always pan out so it's it's tough to predict these things um it's kind of late on Real Madrid plays in like eight hours I think I'm gonna wake up for it I don't think you are but I have to (laughs) (laughs) I gotta do the immediate reaction then Matt and I are gonna do a post-game show for it and that'll be the last Real Madrid game until Bayern Munich in a friendly in July thank, sometime. Thank God. Like you sent out like the mass email for everyone to put in their responses for like the end of season round table. Yeah. And you asked what was your favorite part of the season. And what I said sounds like a joke, but I mean this with full sincerity, the part where it ended. That to me is just such a huge wave of relief. Because the end of this season has just been a nightmare. Like, it's just that that sees that game ending now tomorrow goes on, goes on my calendar as, as just one of the best moments of the year for me. And I mean that in full seriousness because the season has been it's been it's been painful. And uh, and it ended with a slap in the face on a six a.m. kickoff. So thanks for that. <laughs> We're going to lose like 4-1 or something and you and Matt are going to have to answer like a million just why don't we sell this, 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 this player, get rid of Zidane, get rid of everyone. I can just see it already. And like when it hits 8.30 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, a smile is going to appear on my face as I'm sleeping, as I know that the season is over and that I didn't have to wake up to watch the game. Well, we're going to record it immediately after the game so we don't get any questions to come in. And <laughs> that's the plan. Um, all right. Well, this was fun, Om. Uh, it always is. Uh, we're going to do some quick patron shout-outs before we wrap it up. So, again, patreon.com slash managing is where you go to pledge. You get guaranteed responses to your questions. Get access to a bunch of bonus shows, including tomorrow's uh, post-game show, which I know we didn't make it sound appealing, but it's, it is... It's a fun show. Uh, it always is with Matt. And Matt and I also do our loan tracker on Tuesdays only for patrons. And uh, a bunch of other shows that are only for patrons. So hop on board the patreon.com slash managing with your train. Uh, shout out to these $10 plus patrons. Because if you pledge $10 or more, you get a specific shout on the podcast. So shout out to Mikhail Nilsson, Frederick Sundros, <clears throat> John Fernandez, Said Mahad, Nick DeStefani, Adam Dorsey, Frederick Rantakiro, Leon Stavronakis, Christian Gonzalez, Bjorn Salvador, Essa Hariri, Nicole Gant, Sergio Monleon, Elian Zacco, Yahya Ibrahim, Willie Reed, Nick Ribeiro, Eric Rogers, Sad Omar, Oluwapamimo Oladunjoy, Patrick Odayafadi, Christian Toft, Dan Berthy, Armin Gashi, Tarek Sphere, 
Tyler Dixon, Raga Potluri, Vicky Cohen, Gary Cohut, Sujai Wani, Pena Maridisa, San Francisco Bay Area, Brandon Stevens, Casper Moscala, Catherine Fagundo, Vinod Baratula, Zoran Bosancic, Sway Ayala, Crystal Glass, Rafael Servia, Yehin Liang, Karen Scherer, Ahmed Almayahi, Umar Mahadi, Amy L, Shabazz Sharapov, Fabian Moreno, Varun, Magnus Lex, Jason Fitz, Solomon Ortiz, and Brennan Powers. Thank you so much. Um, Om, do you have anything to plug before we wrap it up? Exams are finished. Do you finally got something for us? Yes, the School of Real Madrid is back after I think what has been a three-week hiatus, maybe mm. longer, and it is on the hot topic of Eden Hazard. I mean, if you listen to what I've had to say, if you listen to what Keon had to say, I think you'll have a general idea of what it is, but that's where we go into really justifying what we think about you know, what he'll bring. Um, so keep a lookout for that. Should be up, you know, early next week. Um, Nagib working hard to get that done for us. We have the script audio all done. So, and we'll look to keep School of Real Madrid regular now, um, and keep trying to grow that thing. And Om hinted at it a little bit, but on Monday we're going to publish uh, the roundtable discussion where the managing Madrid crew answers a bunch of postseason questions. Um, I had a chance to flip through some of the staff responses and they were pretty entertaining. So stay tuned for that on managingmadrid.com. And, and again, you're probably not listening to this before the game. Um, kudos to you if you got through this whole entire podcast before this game started. Wow, that's impressive. But chances are you listen to this on Monday. So uh, you've already ho- heard the post-game show, maybe. Uh, if not, that'll be up Sunday afternoon and then Monday Diego and I will do Chulos Tacticas La Liga season review uh, okay until next time thank you for listening and Hala Madrid Hala Madrid <laughs>